Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where we are less than 24 hours from the peaceful transition of power in Washington, where Donald Trump will give way to a Joe Biden presidency. He'll be leaving tomorrow morning to go to Florida, to Mar-a-Lago, to begin his post-presidential life, and a new president will take power, just as they always have in America. Uh, We've had our strife. We've had our disagreements. We've bickered. We've fought. Sadly, we had some violence on January 6th. But the great American tradition of peacefully passing the baton and taking America uh, in the vote uh, and accepting it and um, rallying around our current president is about to under uh, to happen. And I think, you know what, we'll be proud of ourselves on the morning after. We'll realize we affected that. And those who feel like they lost this election unfairly or are concerned about the rules or the practices or the votes, they have an opportunity to go take back the election in 2022, the way our founding fathers intended. Uh, those who are fighting in the courts to resolve some of the issues. Remember, there are many lawsuits still working their way through the lawsuits. They haven't all been dismissed, like some of the media have wrongfully um, reported. Uh, they'll have their chance to litigate and to um, modulate whatever uh, legal issues that they feel were wronged in the election. But the great thing about uh, tomorrow, the next day, today, is the American experience will go on. And as much gloom and doom as I've heard, as much uh, extraordinary expressions of concern, I am an optimist and I still believe the counterbalance, the countervailing winds of freedom, liberty, democracy, constitutional republic will self-correct the things that make Americans nervous today. It might take a few weeks, a few months, but we're going to get this right because we always do. Look, we reversed the false Russia collusion narrative by good reporting and freedom of expression, freedom of speech, exercise of oversight, separation of powers. The Congress was able to do its oversight ability. The executive branch was able to get its documents out. And we corrected that wrong. And though it took a longer time than anyone wanted, the process still works. And I think those who are sitting there cursing the day tomorrow should embrace the greater American spirit, the greater American ideals. You know what? If you're unhappy, you have the power, the freedom still, and the tools to make a difference and uh, and to make change and to exercise your rights and to try to create the America in the life that you want for yourself and for your country. Um, I don't think that we should all 
me um, on the edge of gloom and doom. Are there some scary trends? You bet there are. Uh, this cancel culture, this freedom of speech, the extraordinary excessive power that have been bestowed upon big tech companies, it's all concerning to us, but it's fixable. There are um, the courts, there are the extraordinary power of the wallet. Uh, this morning I looked, I think Twitter was down 17% in value since it kicked the leader of the free world off of its platform. That's an enormous penalty. If we lost 17% of our income or our value today, we would be walking around wounded. This The markets are beginning to speak. Uh, Fox News is making some changes. Those of you that are frustrated by Fox News, there's been a change in the Washington Bureau. More to come, I suspect. But it, it, the, the forces in the market, the forces of um, the courts, the forces of the legislatures and the Congress and politics will allow those who are filled um, uh hurt, impugned by the last few months, you have the levers of power to exercise peacefully the sort of changes you want to affect. I'm not as negative, and I don't think you should be too. Uh, look brightly upon the great American experience. As I walked in today, I had to walk a lot longer than my normal. I know I park in my own building, but I had to walk a mile and a half to get uh, inside the perimeter zone from my temporary parking. I walked by the men and women that are guarding this city. And while it's an extraordinary sight to have 28,000 troops here, maybe it'll be 33,000 before it's done. And it does seem a little excessive since there are no known plots. There's just some threats. But you know, we'll debate that afterwards. And certainly we underestimated the potential threat on January 6th. So if we're overestimating for a couple of days, I think we'll be fine. But I walked by these men and women in their camouflage fatigues and their, and their uh, with their guns strapped over their shoulder, the American flag patch on their arms. Um, these are people that make you remember that there's so much good in this country and whatever is wrong, and there's plenty wrong in the country right now, plenty of silliness on both sides of the political aisle, that we still have people that sign up voluntarily to defend freedom, to fight on foreign soil or to protect us here on our own soil. If you can't appreciate that that is the sort of country we are, stop for a second. Let some of that anger out. Let some of that uh, frustration out and just remember on the streets today there are law enforcement officers risking their lives there are extraordinary members of our military men women um, african-american hispanic white asian all working together uh, to keep this country safe and they're proud to wear that uniform they still see america an america worth dying for defending and uh, they remind me, as I said, thank you to them. And I waved to them today. And some of them talked to me back. A couple even recognized me from my, my television appearances. Uh, there is so much good about our country still that whatever ails it can be fixed as we work together. So don't be despaired. Now, we're going to have a whole half hour with one of the leaders on the one of those battles that I tell you is raging. I'm not denying it. The battle for free speech and free expression in America Um this is an epic battle in Parler, the social media giant that I was a part of and, and enjoying very much. Uh, we have their chief of policy, Amy Peacock, here today to talk about what it's been like to be deplatformed, to talk about what they're doing to get back online, to um, uh, talk about the solutions, what they've learned. I think we'll learn that they are going to take some actions to better police um, violent speech or criminal speech, because there is such thing as criminal speech. Not everything is free speech. Um, demanding someone be executed um, uh, or uh, inciting an imminent in da um, uh, danger, the courts have ruled is criminal, is wrong. 
can be infringed. And I think Parler has got some interesting things to share with us today in the form of Amy Peacock. They're very bright and very educated and very well-spoken chief of policy. Um, she is a philosopher, a lawyer, an educator, and I think she's going to bring a lot to the discussion today. So we're not going to delay any further. We're going to go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Amy Peacock, the chief policy officer of the social platform Parlor, here for the whole show to talk us talk us through what happened, uh, what they're doing to get back online, what we may learn about our own country, ourselves, America, our freedoms through the legal and political and technological battles around the Parlor platform. All right, you're not going to want to miss this. Let's go to a quick commercial break, and when we come back, Amy Peacock will be joining us. <laughs> Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody who is on the front lines of one of the most epic free speech battles in American history. Amy Peacock joins us. She is the chief policy officer of one of my favorite social platforms, Parler. And as you know, they were knocked off um, uh, the air, if we can call it that, knocked off the digital air uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, thanks to Amazon and some other censorship efforts. Amy, welcome to the show. I can't wait to talk to you about what's been going on. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I want to start because I, you know, people were cheering on the Just the News site when Parler came back to life on, as a website over the weekend. And then yesterday you had the prestige the honor of posting the first post on the new platform. And I thought it was so remarkable. You grabbed um, on Martin Luther King Day uh, a famous quote from from the great minister, Martin Luther King Jr., and, and applied it to the first, uh, a first Amendment in the free speech battle you find yourself in the middle of. Tell us a little bit what inspired you to do that and what's been the reaction to it? So that quotation, and, you know, this is one of the few parlays that we've put up at the static webpage at parlor.com. That static webpage is a, an important first step toward getting everything back up online. It, it means a lot to us, and I'm hoping it'll mean a lot to people. We are, we are working steadily towards getting back. Uh, the, the parlay itself, again, on the occasion of Martin Luther King Day, it is from the letter from Birmingham Jail. And this is a letter that I used to teach when I was teaching philosophy of law. And it's full of really interesting issues. But this particular quotation in which he talks about the issue of extremism is one that has been my favorite forever. And I've shared it each year with some controversy, right? Because there are people both, I think, on the left and the right that would, uh, you know, kind of quibble with certain aspects of it. But the beauty of it is, is King talks about extremism, the label of being called an extremist, and that he at first was not happy to have that label applied to him, but that as, as he thought about it more, he realized that extremism just talks about a degree and that you could be an extremist for some very good things 
and that that would not be bad. So you can be an extremist for love, as he discusses. You can be an extremist for justice. You can be an extremist for equality before the law. Right. And and, and so, you know, and then he uh, finishes it off by saying that maybe what the world needs is a lot more creative extremism. I love that term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've embraced it ever since, I and I love this quotation. I think people should probably read more of the figures who we revere, and maybe they would reconsider using extremism as a derogatory label if they were to read this passage from the letter. So I love it. And then what I did at the end is just say, what if 2021 was the year in which people across a broad ideological spectrum all became extremists for freedom of expression and for privacy, which are, I think, values shared by all Americans, really. Oh, yeah, without a doubt, they're universal to our experience. Yeah. And, and wouldn't that just turn 2021 on its head from everything that we've seen so far? Well, it's a, it's a noble uh, mission to put forward. And, you know, I was one of the early um, entrants to Parlor. I, I fell in love with the platform and um, and uh, the engagement and the smartness of so many of the users and the interest in straightforward news and conversation was so invigorating to me. And I know so many of us who have been without it for a week or 10 days now feel the pang of, <laughs> of not having that platform. Why don't you tell us how, how are things going on getting back up and running? The website was a first step. Uh, your parlay was a second step. Um, wh what's a timetable that our, uh, our audience can expect to see Parler back and function the way we all came to love it? I can't speak as to a specific timetable. I can only tell you that all of us in our various departments within Parler are working furiously to both get back online and have it be better than before. And that, of course, includes my department, which has to do with the enforcement of our guidelines. As you know, since you've been on Parler, our guidelines have always prohibited any sort of you know, violent or inciting co content, threats, any of that stuff, because that is illegal. And so while, of course, we believe in freedom of expression, we believe in allowing the maximum freedom of expression within the law. And as we say, we will not knowingly allow our platform to be used as a vehicle for the commission of crime or, or making threats. So what we're planning to do is to make that enforcement mechanism even better as we get back up. And those are some of the things that we're working on while the tech team is also putting together all the pieces that are necessary to have a completely functional site back online and secure from those people who are trying to attack us. Now, there, there's a narrative out there that Parler had no moderation going on at all, but that's not true. Uh, can you tell us not about... Not at all. Right. You had many moderators policing all day. Talk a little bit about that and how that narrative has been hijacked to, to uh, a non-factual point now. Yeah. No. So what we did not have is we did not have an algorithm that was automatically scanning content. Right. But we did we did have the ability of any person on Parlor to report any content that they saw that they thought was in violation of our community guidelines. We welcomed people. We asked them to please do that. And then we also had a community jury full of volunteers, hundreds of volunteers who were adjudicating on the reports. We had a blind quorum system, and then when the 
you know, the reports resulted in a violation, the person would be assigned points or maybe even the content taken down or they would be banned as appropriate. And we were consistently working to improve the system. We had added a task force to go to certain locations within Parler where we would see lots of spam or other types of violations as well. So it was a work in progress which you would expect of any startup and especially an ideologically principled startup like Parler was. We wanted to enforce these guidelines, but at the same time, we wanted to do it consistent with the maximum amount of privacy for the people on the platform and due process as well. Yeah, that's important. And um, when you when you got engaged and all of a sudden Apple and um, Amazon started to threaten and ultimately did uh, kick you off the platforms, Google Play being another. Uh, what were they asking that was um, different than what you were already doing? What, 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 what demands were they making that, that um, and how might they have changed the platform? Why, why did you guys refuse to meet those demands? Well, so it's, it, what they were asking for was more effective enforcement of the guidelines. Now, how ineffective we were compared to our competitors actually remains to be seen because as I understand it even using an algorithm to scan all the content is far from perfect and I mean if Facebook you know doesn't have resources to throw at this problem I think nobody does right because they're the ones that are so profitable and everything else Um, they as we've seen in the past week or so have had a significant problem with this exact same type of content. You've seen articles in both the Washington Post and Salon talking about Facebook having been used in the group's features and things like that to plan the events of January 6th. So, um, you know, we find it a little bit difficult to believe that we weren't being singled out. And as you might know, I think a lot of this was resulting from particular people on Twitter trashing Parler, saying that somehow all this content lived only on Parler, and were tagging both Google and Apple, and I can't remember if they were tagging Amazon, mm. trying to get their attention. So there was a big call against Parler. Why, I guess, because we're reputed to have been the conservative platform or whatever, you know, just, but we were under attack. There was one screenshot that was being passed around, I'll tell you this, John, um, uh, that it was used as an example. Oh gosh, there's all this inciting content on Parler. The actual comment, the inciting comment, was posted nine seconds before the screenshot was taken. Wow. And then that was circulated around out there. So, what does that say to you in terms of people just looking for anything to target us and to say that, you know, now that's not to say I don't want to improve our ability to go after this content. We intend to actually be the best and we're exploring working with AI in certain ways consistent with our commitment to privacy and due process and free speech. So we're actively looking to do this. And we told both Apple and Amazon that we were working to do this as well. So again, I feel like- So why weren't they willing to engage you? Do you have a a theory why they wouldn't give you the time to do so? I mean, uh, let's remind people of something really important because I, I was a journalist and I saw this in real time. Uh, in 2015, Twitter and Facebook allowed a murder to be streamed live 
on their platforms. The, the killing of oh, two wow. journalists out of Roanoke, Virginia. It's well documented. You can go on the web and go back in time. And nobody asked to deplatform de Twitter then. Amazon didn't, and other people didn't pull out their servers. There wasn't a, a big outcry. Now, there was concern about it, but it wasn't the sort of shut them down uh, movement that occurred here. Uh, why wasn't Amazon, Apple, and Google willing to spend more time to help work with you as opposed to just kick you off? You'd have to ask them. Um, I think that they would have had every reason to continue to work with us and, and not kick us off because, as I said, we were already exploring uh, using various algorithms and things that would have done it. And you, know, all of and you conveyed that to them, right? They knew that, right? You were telling them that you yeah. were working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a theory? I know uh, John, who I've been blessed to meet a couple of times, John Matz, your CEO. Uh, did you, um, the, the, is there a theory? He's been very strong in saying that this felt like it was a, you know, a, a recrimination of ideology rather than just of um, concern about the, the content. Um is there any theory now that you've thought it through? Do you guys have a, a, a guess as to why it happened? I, I think perhaps the rumors that President Trump was going to come over to Parler may have played a role in it. But, you know, this is this is speculation. Yeah. And I think it's going to, you know, I can't really comment on litigation, but it might right. be that through the course of that, some of the truth will come out. We'll, we'll get some it. evidence. You, huh? know, now, you know, now the heat is on some of the other platforms, right? right? AOC right. and others have been, and you might think if you think, you know, oh, Parler, we're going to think that's a great thing that now they're looking at our competitors. But I laid out in a blog post over at my personal blog at don'tletitgo.com, my concerns about what this means now that the focus is being switched over to the platforms. And if you're concerned about a clampdown on freedom of expression, think about the fact that there are now putting blame on all of these platforms and that in the background there's been all these harangues before congress of the ceos from these big competitors of sure. ours, right and what they're looking for is they're looking for them to remove even more content to ban more people from their platforms and the sort of stick that's being waved around is an amendment to Section 230. Right. Now, Mark Zuckerberg has invited certain types of amendments to Section 230, amendments that we actually think we're going to clamp down on freedom of expression quite a bit. So he talks about, for example, being able to be so good at moderating hate speech on his platform and that they have these transparency reports that they issue, and maybe every platform that gets 230 immunity should have to issue the same sorts of reports that they do. Or even more, he suggested in this last set of hearings, he suggested that not only should they have to issue reports about this, they might also have to show a certain level of effectiveness <laughs> with respect to this objectionable content as they talk about it. So if you can imagine these platforms, all the platforms being required to do this and what sort of business records they would have to keep in order to do it and what sort of records they already keep about their customers. Because of course you're the product they're you know, That's mining right. all of your data anyway, you yeah. are the commodity. Right. And so suddenly in your profile on Facebook, 
there's all of this, oh, hate speech this and whatever that. And it's starting to look a little bit like Minority Report because if the government is mandating it, <laughs> they can probably – no, seriously, they can yeah, see no. the records at any time, right? Right, right? Thanks to the third-party doctrine, right? I don't know if you're familiar with I that. I am, doctrine, absolutely. The third party do- yeah. yeah. So, so this is what I lay out in this blog post. And, yeah, you see Minority Report in our future, and it's, that's scary. Yeah, unless I was a journalist that in 2001 broke a lot of the um, stories about what the government knew before 9-11, the failure to connect the dots, the Arab pilots training at the U.S. Air Schools and the Masawi episode in Minnesota. And then the FBI went and intercepted my mail at the border using a, an old, two-century-old concept called border search authority. And they kept my source material, never told me they had seized it, didn't take a warrant. And so I saw the long arm of the law. We ultimately won that case and, and the FBI apologized to me and I got my document back. By the way, the document they intercepted was neither classified nor of any threat to national security. It was only embarrassing to the FBI. Um, and so I saw firsthand, you know, two decades ago, the beginning of this effort to use the powers of government and surveillance to to stop something that was a legitimate story. And uh, and so I, when you say minority reported, it rings true to me personally as someone who fought it and won ultimately. Uh, but these are these are really serious issues now because it's not only just the government. I mean, the, the courts are really clear about the the, the breadth of the U.S. government's um, uh, powers to infringe free speech. Basically, it has to be an imminent danger. It has to be you know uh, inciting violence. There are really clear Supreme Court rulings, but. The, the magnitude of these big tech companies, which have almost the same reach as the U.S. government now, they have so much intrusion into our lives. The, the law is not clear as to how the First Amendment applies to them. What do you think your litigation lawsuits might do to help define the, uh, the free speech rights of Americans on private platforms that use our public airspace, right? You, you can't see Internet if, uh, or you can't use Facebook and Twitter if you're not using our public airwaves or our cable under the ground that goes through our right of ways. Do you think your lawsuits will help define the limits of free speech in, in the big tech era? You know, I'm not sure about that. And again, I can't comment on litigation or, right. or strategy or those things, but there was an important piece in the wall street journal um, in just the last week or so called save the constitution from big tech. And the authors ask you to consider two things in conjunction. First, the Section 230 immunity right. for the platforms removing content, right? It gives them permission to remove content. At the same time, as I said, in these haranguings and other places, you've seen legislators on a certain side of the aisle usually telling these platforms that they should remove even more and more content along the lines of hate speech, misinformation, things that would be otherwise protected by the First Amendment. They are getting real pressure to remove. And so, again, my concern is that either indirectly that way without actually putting it into 230, or maybe even by putting it into 230, you would have the government suddenly being able to indirectly censor what it couldn't censor itself if right you were actually yeah. yeah right because the first amendment precedent as you say is quite clear on this but it's not so clear what the government has been able to achieve indirectly by regulation yeah such a great point it's that we had several a good um legal minds on recently uh, jonathan turley and and um uh alan dershowitz and a couple of the other lawyers and they're all talking about that there are many different ways that 
the big tech benefits from from basically government um, uh, assets or government rule 230 was one of them the use of our public airwaves because obviously spectrum is how most people get their data on their phones these days there's some interesting arguments lining up to define um, the future of free speech in this in this new era are you surprised that we're this far along in the internet era before this sort of um, uh, infringement began this sort of silencing began um, seems like we've had about 20 years of really fun internet. We all got addicted to it, right? We, we loved our phones and all the apps on it. Uh, and now suddenly in a, in a moment of just a few uh, weeks, we've seen you know, apps pulled, platforms deplatformed. Um, was this a, a storm brewing for a long time or was it a sudden unexpected um, explosion? I mean, I've seen part of the danger of this for quite some time now. And even just thinking about the fact that during lockdown, we've all been stuck at home. And the only way we can communicate with each other is over these third-party means, right? So again, right. I've been concerned with the third-party doctrine now for quite some time. And seeing the effect of the third-party doctrine plus the fact that as insofar as government keeps you locked in your house, the only way you can communicate with your fellow human being is usually through a third party means you have to share information with the third party to get it to your recipient. Uh, maybe encryption is an exception to that, but of course they're going after our encryption too. And that is scary. That's what I've been worried about. I was surprised uh, myself that they were going to clamp down uh, so quickly on freedom of expression. And now we're seeing exactly, you know, kind of the writing on the wall. And I hope that there's something we can do to stop it. Yeah, it's such an important, uh, such an important fight and one that will define the next generation of free speech. As you look out now, one of the challenges will be we're used to getting our functionality on our phones by downloading an app. And of course, you're still even if you get the system up and running, uh, you'll still have the blockages at the uh, app store levels uh, how are you guys trying to work around that how do you how do you continue to get people to use it will you be a web-based application going forward so first is to get the website up um, as for google it's not really necessary to be in the google play store for people to be able to sideload an app right onto the android device so that is of course an option there as for apple i don't know if you've seen but a couple times in the last week Tim Cook has said that he uh, considers us to be only suspended and that we would be welcomed back onto the Apple App Store with a robust moderation, not really moderation, excuse me. We don't call it that. Right, right. It's a term of art out there. Guidelines Enforcement Program. And when we do that, that they would welcome us back. So I, we're looking forward to holding him to that because he said it quite publicly twice now. Yeah, that's a, that's an important uh, signal to be taking, and uh, hopefully that these things will work themselves out, and the parlor community will be back uh, stronger than ever. the The challenge is when you know some people have pulled out some real quotes that were on parlor. You know, people talking about killing Jews or or um, uh, uh, engaging in violence. Uh, were those things uh, in the time when you were there? Were those things getting flagged, or will they be flagged when you see that sort of direct specific threats made uh will the new parlor uh, you know you're the policy chief so you're developing this in in real time uh well are those the sort of things that we could expect will be flagged in the future 
Yeah, so no system of flagging is ever perfect, but we did, of course, have a lot of flagging going on, and I did see a lot of the that type of content being flagged and going through our jury and actually being escalated as well in the weeks leading up to January 6th. Right. So nobody was surprised there. Um, I did think that we were dealing very appropriately with it given all of the resources and the fact that we were developing our program and scaling it up, escalating it up uh, as we saw the content was an issue. Um, so now, of course, we're going to look at different ways of, of scanning it, including perhaps the use of some AI, and that's what we're exploring now. But whatever we're going to be doing, it's going to be uh, more robust, better at dealing with this type of other illegal content. Now, I've talked to some analysts on the side who think that, you know, some of the larger social media companies may have conspired, or social media and uh, other, you know, app companies, so Apple, Twitter, Facebook. Do you guys have any evidence that, that your competitors in the social media space may have egged on or encouraged uh, Apple, Google, and Amazon to take this action? Is there any anti-competitive behavior that you guys have detected in your early work? You know, that would also be probably a topic for the litigation. Right. So Can't talk about yeah, it yet, huh? com com Yeah, commenting on that would, would, would not be wise. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I get it. I just wanted to ask on that because a lot of people have asked me that question. Do you, is some of this just about competition? Because Parler was growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, I had a half million users. I mean, we were, we were number one in the app store on Friday. Yeah. And then wiped and out and, and, the, and the rumors were that if the president came over the platform, we were going to gain a whole lot more. Yeah. And, you know, we were having a ton of downloads, of course, like we said that day, number one. Now, let me ask you to weigh in on a, a dynamic that's public. It's in the marketplace. I, I think when I looked the midday today, Twitter stock was down about 17% from its high point before President Trump was kicked off. Is there some free market forces that are beginning to weigh in on this free speech? I mean, we've seen foreign forces, right? We've seen Angela Merkel. We've seen the Mexican president weigh in. We've seen uh, the Russian um, dissident leader, the one who's fighting uh, his own um, free speech battle against uh, Vladimir Putin. But internally, it looks like the U.S. markets are, are reacting in such a way. Is there anything that you read from the reaction of, and the, the loss of value that both Twitter and Facebook have experienced in the last 10 days? I mean, I would say that, you know, certainly there has been, you know, not just maybe that one banning, but all of the other sort of mass bannings that you're hearing about out there right. are having an effect on their on their market value. Uh, you know, you should have free market competition. Free market competition is the way that all of this should be handled. But we have been in a mixed economy for decades, for a very long time. And so we actually don't know, you know, besides the, you know, the cancel culture that's very active out there on Twitter right now, we don't know what other forces are at play in pressuring this, you know, these big tech companies that for a long time were relatively free from government interference and regulation. And now, like I said, various types of interference and regulation are, are being threatened. And there are a number of politicians who would love these, you know, big companies to do their bidding and, and make sure that, you know, for instance, if, if uh, Trump is banned from these other platforms, that there is no place for him or his supporters to talk about even peaceful ways to make the country better, right? Right, sure. Yeah, no, that's a 
Now, one of the things I love about your background, you, you, you've taught at some of the most prestigious law schools in America. You have a philosophy background. You're a lawyer, a very accomplished lawyer. Um, when you look out, if you could put your philosopher hat on for a, a second more, we started that way with the great um, excerpt from the, the letter from the Birmingham jail with Martin Luther King. When you look out at this moment, these next few months where you know, your, your fights with Apple and Google and Amazon are going to play out, there's going to be some court litigation. Donald Trump's going to end up somewhere. And, and I, I can't imagine him not being in the social sphere somewhere. Uh, what is the big picture um philosophical debate that we're about to have in America. Is, is this a is this a moment of reckoning where we're going to decide what uh, what America means in the 21st century? How how big a battle is this when we talk about free expression? It, I mean, it, it seems really more crucial than it ever has been when you have certain voices on, you know, what you call the left side of the aisle calling for the silencing, the mass deplatforming of people with certain views. They want to take OAN and Newsmax completely off of cable companies. Right. Right. That's the sort of thing that's being called for right now. And I don't know if you've ever read Nadine Strawson's book about hate. I have not, no. So in, in her excellent book called Hate, Nadine Strawson was the former head of the ACLU, and so she is, tends to be more liberal. But she has what I think is the best view about both hate speech and so-called misinformation out there, that if you're truly concerned with battling, with resisting hate or misinformation, that the best answer is more speech, more discussion, more open discourse. And, you know, what is parlor about? We, we call, you know, we don't have tweets, we have parlays. And to parlay is to have a discussion between two different viewpoints and trying to come to some sort of understanding of people who, whose views differ from yours. And the question going forward is, are we going to have civil discourse? Are we going to have a discussion? Or, I mean, I've seen on both sides, right? Right and left, we've seen people just have a discussion degenerate into just insults and threats. Mm -hmm. and people trying to cancel each other and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, it to me, it only seems to be escalating. Can people just get a sense that the path that we're going down is really just going to lead us to Orwell's 1984? And if you think, oh, well, I'm on the left and Biden and Harris are in, and I'm going to be happy if they clamp down on the people who think wrongly on the other side, I would say think again, because you don't know that next week, you're going to be the one who's deemed to have thought wrongly. And they're going to be talking about locking you up because you pose a danger to public health or however it was that weirdo in New York said it, right? Right. Um, these, this is scary. In America, we should believe in freedom of expression, using reason to speak with each other, treat each other as human beings, and come to some sort of way that we can peacefully coexist and each have the maximum freedom to live their lives the way that they would like to. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I've been with a, a couple of um, senior um, elders in politics. One I interviewed on the left, one I interviewed on the right recently, and both of them agreed on this, which is we've lost the we in America. We've lost the, it's somehow seen as a weakness if you agree to disagree or that you even try to compromise sometimes by listening to each other. 
and that uh, th these two uh, very distinguished leaders who come from different political philosophies could agree on that, that that's what's at jeopardy at this moment in our American history, that whoever's in power will dominate everything if we don't allow this free discourse to continue. Uh, it seems as though uh, Parler is on the front lines of helping us recognize what's at stake in this extraordinary uh, debate we're having. And it's more than a debate now because real action is being taken. So we're so lucky uh, uh, to have you on here and, and to see uh, everything that you're fighting for. I can't wait to see how the next few weeks play out when Parler comes back online, what it looks like. Um, and we'd love to have you back on uh, the show as soon as that happens. Will do. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Uh, we are hopefully just a few hours away from getting the declassified documents in Russia. I'm very excited about that. Let's not lose sight of that. We will break in with special programming today. Tomorrow, we will um, have all of the documents posted on Just the News. We have an army of people here ready to scan and report and extricate important information and we'll be working right alongside you to break the news and to make a difference uh, by exposing uh, the remaining abuses that remain to be exposed, deserve to be exposed in the FBI Russia collusion narrative. So join us, check us out at justthenews.com. And until tomorrow, may you have a blessed evening with your family and loved ones. God bless you. God bless America. And thank you. Thank you for listening as you always do. 